You're listening to Code Red with Secure America Now, the largest national security grassroots army. Uh, today, our guest is Raim Kassam, author of No Go Zones, How Sharia Law is Coming to a Neighborhood Near You. The book is available on Amazon.com, and I agree with Sean Hannity, who calls it, quote, a must-read. This is a fantastic book, and I urge everyone to read it. Uh, Rahim is a political activist, he's a journalist, he's an author, and he gives us perspective on radicalization and extremism in our society from both, uh, both sides of the, of the Atlantic, both from London as well as the United States. So welcome, Rahim, and tell us, what are you up to these days? Well, thank you very much for having me, um, Alan. Um, it's, you know, it, it won't come as a, a, as a particularly um, incredible insight if I say, you know, I believe that the fates of the United States and, and the United Kingdom, which is where I was born and raised, are, are to be, uh, you know, inextricably intertwined. And that's why, um, you know, that's why I wrote the book. I saw that there was a lot of uh, negation of the idea of no-go zones out there. There was a lot of... Um, a lot of fake news, I think, as this president calls it, um, going on from CNN and, and all those chaps about what's really going on in neighborhoods, in, in communities around Europe and indeed the United Kingdom. Uh, and I started to see some of those things uh, happening here in the United States too, traveling around, doing the research for that book. Um, so really, uh, at this, to answer your question, at this point in time, building off the back of that building, um, more information, more data, uh, looking at particular places uh, that have meaning to me, like London, where, you know, where I was born and spent 29 years uh, of my life, and what London looks like under this uh, uh, Muslim mayor, Sadiq Khan, um, how, how he has, as I told Sky News recently, uh, turned London into an S-hole, um, again, to quote the president, um, so, so that's where we are at the moment. I, I feel like we are gaining some traction in our arguments. Uh, I rely heavily on, on statistics, on data, um, you know, real facts, uh, as opposed to uh, uh, you know, carefully, carefully concocted arguments that we hear from, from the sort of multiculturalist left. Um, I, I hope that answers your question. Yes, you did. And uh, let me take it a bit further. Uh, when I met you, you were involved with the students, students' rights movement in the UK, and you were mm. challenging radicals on campus, and I would like you to tell us your impressions of what is going on on campuses both in the UK and the United States where you have spoken on campuses uh, and uh, just give us a general feel of the radicalization, which includes issues like the right to speak. Um, there are attempts being made, uh, some of them violent, to stop people yeah. who, for example, support the state of Israel or the United States or yeah. even mention the name Donald Trump from speaking. Um, what is your take on 
that group of issues? Yeah, we started um, we started this group called Student Rights um, uh, with a with a, in, an intentionally sort of fluffy sounding name um, to um, to attract people to the idea that actually campuses were becoming um, or, or continuing, um, but in a in a sort of exponential sense, to be hotbeds of, of radicalization. Now, obviously, both the United Kingdom and the United States have. Uh, a vast amount of experience in these areas as it pertains to liberalism, but what we what we saw was the the, the sort of confluence of, of the liberal left and 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 Islamic extremists um, running roughshod on campuses, dictating who could speak, where they could speak, when they could speak. Um, you know, as you say, um, putting up barriers to people whose views they didn't want expressed or or even challenged, quite frankly, because they thought they'd lose those arguments. Um, on campuses, so we started to show uh, where the discrepancies were. We we were successful um, in that, uh, you know, we we deemed ourselves a pressure group. We were successful in showing uh, these discrepancies and these hypocrisies um, over the course of a couple of years of running that organization, and and it's still running uh, to this day. Uh, And and I personally came came at it from a a pretty interesting perspective. Uh, My name is Rahim Kassam. I was raised in a Muslim family. Um, I know what it's like to to, to grow up with and in Islam. Uh, And what I saw happening on those campuses were, were, you know, examples of uh, the the most heinous, the the very worst of the worst, the most ultra-Orthodox interpretations of Islam. Um, being foist on, on, on young students, on the most impressionable minds um, that were available to them. And this came about through lots of different means, through um, Muslim Brotherhood organizations that were specifically targeting campuses, through Saudi funding of um, chairs in Islamic studies, uh, that they would only allow the most heinous interpretations um, or, or literalist, if you will, interpretations um, of the Quran to be taught. So, so that's, that's how we started. And, and, and the thing that really made me turn, um, not just my sort of target to this issue, but actually turn away from Islam in general, um, was, a, um, was an experience I had when I was studying at the University of Westminster. I mean, this is the university that gave uh, 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 rise to uh, Jihadi John, Mohammed Mwazi, who was just... Uh, two years below me, this is the famous Islamic State executioner, uh, I believe the late uh, uh, Islamic State executioner, and um, just two years below me at university, and this is while I was uh, blowing whistles on campus about what was going on to the student union, to these societies, uh, and I was once, uh, as a practicing Muslim, asked by members of the Islamic Society at Westminster University to go uh, to an Islamic society meeting. They said, you know, brother, you can't be a proper Muslim if you don't come to our events. And like I say, the most impressionable minds, um, and I was one of them. And so I decided, okay, I'll go along to this meeting. It will shut them up. It will get them off my back, so on and so forth. And I remember as I was going up the steps of of the little Titchfield Street campus um, in in the University of Westminster, a bunch of, uh, I think it was three or four, uh, guys came down the stairs towards me and they said, you know, brother, you don't want to go into that meeting. They were talking about the Islamic Society meeting. I said, why not? I promised them I'd go. And they said, well, they're showing videos of 9-11 and cheering and clapping. And I remember in that moment, sort of turning on my heel, walking down the street, running after my friend Richard, who had informed me that he was going to the pub and he'd see me after the meeting. 
And I said, Richard, Richard, I'll, 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 I'm not going to go to this meeting. I'll come to the pub. Uh, and the joke I often uh, uh, deploy is, and I've never left since. Um, but, but, but it's sort of true in the sense that, you know, your, your, your worldview changed. Um, my, my worldview in those moments inextricably changed. Um, what, was, what was once seen to me as, you know, my people who I owed something to, I realized that there was a massive, massive problem. Um, in that wider community and that something needed to be done and you know the next year or year and a half later uh, We found a student rights and, and had a, a great amount of success in, in in highlighting what was going on the same things happening here in the United States Alan um, You know not just not just uh, pro-israel or Israeli government speakers or, or things like that but but any challenge um, to what I, I regard as the as the uh, liberal leftist uh, unholy alliance, quite frankly, because because liberalism in its in its classical sense doesn't tend to have much in common with socialism. But there, but there was this alliance, and we saw it uh, from the 60s onwards, and we when we see the fruits of it now, the fruits of it being uh, a form of tyranny, and it's not a soft tyranny, it's a pretty hard tyranny um, when you go onto some of these campuses, and we're not just talking. Uh, about the most radical campuses in the country. We're not just talking about Berkeley. It's going on all across the country. It's going on at, in, in places where you would have believed um, that free expression and free debate were, were founding principles of these institutions. It's happening at Ivy League colleges um, where there are masses upon masses of what can only be regarded as indoctrinated young people um, they're clearly not using their own critical thinking. They're using talking points, stopping people going onto these campuses, not, not, to, not to evangelize in most cases, but actually just to offer a counter-narrative. And that's, that's today. Now, you know, that's, that, that, that's, the, that's de rigueur. In the <laughs> UK, um, I think that we are seeing the most dangerous um, coming together of the far left and the Islamic radicals in the Labour Party of the UK, headed by a character who today was accused of uh, consorting with the enemy during the Cold War by the name of Jeremy Corbyn. It's he, he, the, the Corbyn movement seems to be an extension and, uh, and, uh, of the Bernie Sanders movement here. And uh, could you talk a bit about this unholy alliance between the far left and the uh, radical Islamic movement? Yeah, well, I believe uh, uh, both Jeremy Corbyn and Bernie Sanders um, to be the, the logical conclusion um, of, of all of this. These, these, are, these are people who um, effectively load um, what their individual countries uh, are, are founded upon. Um, Bernie Sanders is a, is a hardline socialist who has almost zero concern for the U.S. Constitution. Jeremy Corbyn, as you say, has not just cavorted with, with the communists during the, uh, during the Cold War, um, but also with the IRA, uh, the Irish Republican Army, who were blowing up uh, British civilians on the streets of England uh, during the height of the Troubles. He, he remains close to them. He has described Hamas and Hezbollah as, quote, friends of his. 
Um, the, 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 this is, the, these aren't people who are radicals in the sense that we have known it um, over previous decades, whereby they simply want to inject um, a, a, an uncomfortable progressivism. And these are radicals in the sense that they actually don't just want to upset Western civilization. They see it as the problem with the world and want to destroy it from, from within. And the terrifying thing about it is that Bernie Sanders is seen to be this incredibly uh, loving, uh, lovable, sort of uh, your granddad type figure. Uh, and the same applies with Jeremy Corbyn. I mean, he is a man who can attract tens of thousands of people out onto the streets in the United Kingdom, like no other politician can today, by the way, uh, not even close, attract tens of thousands of people out into the streets who are literally singing his name. Uh, 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 they are, they, they've got these chants that they all sing, and it, it's a little bit cultish if you come at it from the outside. But to them, uh, this is the greatest expression um, of, 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 of sort of the counter-narrative to what they see as a sort of neoliberal global order, of which Israel is a massive part, of which the United States is a massive part, of which the United Kingdom is a massive part. Um, and, and, and they have co-opted, or rather they have been co-opted, um, by the, the, the radical Islamists. Um, the other group of people who see um, Western civilization as the great enemy in the world. Uh, now, you won't, as a conservative, you won't get any arguments from me um, that, that the post-Enlightenment era has, has, has brought about a corruption within our societies that is leading to massive mental health problems, that is leading to um, all, these, all these crazy things that we see in, in, on campuses and in, on the televisions and the trans movements and all that. You won't get any arguments from me on that. And, and in a lot of ways, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the Islamists have the same problem. Um, with Western civilization, uh, as I do in that regard. But their, their impulse is not to return it to when it was good and great and, and there was a coherent family unit and, and, and all these sort of you know, uh, classical Burkean conservative ideas. Their response is to destroy it. Uh, and so they find common ground with the left, who also want to destroy it. Now, you, know, you call it an unholy alliance. It's unholy, and it's, it's, it's fairly evident to everyone that it's unholy because... Um, you know, you've got <laughs> these marches, for instance, at the Al-Quds Day March in London. This is the big pro-Hezbollah march that happens every year. At the Al-Quds Day March in London, you've got people with LGBT flags walking side by side with people with Hezbollah flags. Well, you know, <laughs> we would expect these people to be tearing each other limb from limb, at least rhetorically, but they don't. They've established this, this, you don't attack us, we won't attack you mindset. Uh, we have a common enemy. Our enemy. My enemy's enemy is my friend. Um, and, and, and interestingly, these are the, these are the uh, uh, battle lines that are drawn now. I also think that's why, by the way, Alan, um, that, uh, that uh, the, the nationalism of, of Brexit, the nationalism of President Trump is so appealing to the right. Because, you know, George, George W. Bush's compassionate conservatism, uh, David Cameron's uh, uh, weak liberal conservatism were not perceived by the everyman to be bulwarks against that unholy alliance. And now you're seeing a, a much more um, muscular conservatism uh, coming about. And, 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 and those on campus, to bring it back to that, those on campus that thought they had destroyed that once and for all, about 10 years ago, they were jumping up and down singing, uh, um, singing Blair's praises uh, and all this saying, you know, these, these guys are gone, it's done, we're finished with them, Brexit will never happen. Um, they are now in complete disarray 
And that disarray is, is, is sort of akin to, to, to them being a wounded animal. And that's why you're seeing such, such grave and uh, uh, lashings out all across the Western world at the moment, predominantly, again, coming from the left. What is it, are there specific recommendations that you would make to people in positions of power, both elected officials as well as presidents of universities, um, that they can do to combat this extremism and radicalism? Well, awareness is, is, is one of the things. Uh, people, are, people are very surprised when, when we talk about, you know, they're, they're quite happy for it to be happening at Berkeley or for the London School of Economics to have this problem. They don't think it's a problem uh, right across the country. Um, and, and, and in a lot of cases, they don't think it's a problem right across the country because their kids who are at universities, probably, you know, in, in the fraternity or in the sports teams, don't really come across this uh, heinous level of political activism that's going on there. So it never gets relayed um, to the parents or, 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 or the grandparents um, who are underpinning uh, UK and US universities through their taxes and through private funding of these places. Um, there was an incident a couple of weeks ago where, where this conservative politician in the United Kingdom, Jacob Rees-Mogg, was speaking at uh, the University of West England, just outside Bristol, um, which is, for those that don't know, near Wales. Um, and, and, and he is a very softly spoken character. He's a very posh person. Um, he doesn't raise his voice. He's, he's, he's simply a bench conservative member of parliament. Um, halfway through his speech, uh, a group of Antifa protesters burst in. I think there were about six of them. Uh, started to shout him down. And his first instinct was to march away from the lectern, up the stairs, and confront them face to face and say, right, what's the problem? Let's have the debate. Um, that went viral. I mean, super viral. Must have had over 20 million views um, across, uh, across the, the uh, social media uh, after we put the video out. Uh, and, and, and that really brought to people's minds, oh, wait, this isn't just happening at the London School of Economics. If this could happen at the tiny little University of West England, it's probably happening all over the place, and it just isn't covered. So one of the things I would say um, is, you know, to President Trump, for instance, go to a university tour. Show the American public, show the American people just how much of this is rife across how many campuses across the United States, and you'll soon find mass, mass pressure being applied to the vice chancellors, the provosts, the chief executives, the lecturers at these universities, who have not just ignored this problem for so long, but actually helped foment it in a lot of ways. And they will soon come under pressure from people, both financially and come under pressure uh, you know, from letter writing campaigns and phone call campaigns and things like that to make sure um, that free speech is guarded. Um, on university campuses. So I think, I think that's probably the first thing. We have to get over the hump of people not realizing uh, what's going on here. I think it's good advice. Um, what is it that uh, within the Islamic communities in the West that makes a, uh, a pool that has created a pool of willing recruits to the extremist world. You grew up, you told us, in an orthodox uh, religious uh, Muslim family. What is it within the community? What is being taught uh, to the children, to the young people, 
that make them, in a sense, at war with what I would call Western values? Uh, well, I'll just start with a quick correction. I mean, luckily, I was raised in, in, a, in, in quite a liberal sect of Islam. Um, I was raised in, in, in the Ismaili sect of Islam, which are more or less known as, as the capitalists of the Islamic world. The, 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 the women don't wear... Um, uh, hijabs or face coverings or anything like that, and, 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 and they sit side by side um, with the men in the mosque. So I was lucky in that regard. Uh-huh. Um, but the answer to your question, for, at least for me, is relatively simple. Um, and, and I think it's something that, that bears thinking about when we talk about mental health crises in the West, when we see mass shootings in schools. Um, I think it's something that can be applied across the board, and that is that in the, in the 60s, we effectively allowed um, left to, to, to overturn um, culture, to usurp it, to, to have what they call the long march through the institutions. And that was not just education, but it was government, and it was the third sector, it's charities. Um, and we're seeing the fruits of all of that today. We're seeing it in the Oxfam um, uh, uh, prostitution scandal. Uh, we see it in, uh, we see it, of course, in, in these universities. Um, we see it in government. What, what, what we've come to know is the quote-unquote deep state um, is really just a bunch of uh, 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 leftists, socialists, Obama holdovers, that sort of thing, clinging onto their positions because they know what it means to let go of the reins of power. Um, <clears throat> the answer to, to, to you know, why Muslims in the West are so easily corrupted by, and I, I really do think it is easy, by the way, so easily corrupted um, by the sort of the Wahhabist forces um, that, that are either on their campuses or in their mosques, um, is that the West isn't actually giving them anything to, to hold on to. It isn't giving them a sense of identity. It isn't giving them a sense of culture. Uh, I always say, uh, in, in arguments with people about this, I always say, well, you know, don't you understand that social conservatism is more attractive than transgenderism to these people? It is. Uh, I mean, it fundamentally is. It, is. it is to most people, let alone people who are raised in uh, religious families. Um, and so as we, as we let go... Of, of, of traditional values. It creates a vacuum. It creates a cultural vacuum, an identity vacuum, an educational vacuum. Uh, and that vacuum is filled pretty quickly um, by, by radical Islam. I mean, even Richard Dawkins, uh, an avowed uh, atheist or, or anti-theist, um, has, has, has talked about Christianity uh, being a bulwark uh, uh, against something worse. And what he meant was, was, was radical Islam. Um, so when you have a situation where uh, a significant number, I think 40% of 16 to 24-year-olds in the United Kingdom say that they want Sharia law, so that they uh, endorse the idea of suicide bombing, so they wouldn't rat out one of their friends, colleagues, or family members for planning a terrorist attack. Um, I think that's entirely predictable, uh, and it seems to shock people still that that's the case, and it's sort of why, uh, in part, I wrote the book uh, that has all of this data in it, um, because you know, the idea that we're still shocked that if you, if you create a vacuum, something else would fill it. Well, I think, you know, as, as, as the popular British parliamentarian Enoch Powell once said, uh, we have witnessed a nation heaping up its own funeral pyre now uh, for decades, and, and I don't see why we're surprised by what's come off the back of it. Yeah, unfortunately, uh, those who speak out uh, and tell the truth uh, often become the target, and um, which has a chilling effect on the number of people willing to criticize uh, the reality. 
And I think that one of the most important things that occurred uh, with the election of Donald Trump is that whether you like him, you don't like him, there are very few people who would say that he's not telling you the way he sees it. And, um, and he is at war with what he calls political correctness. And uh, let's tell the truth and, uh, and, and let the chips fall where they may, but it's most important that we tell the truth. I, I think that um, one of the things that Trump did that may have long-term very positive impact is when he spoke to over 70 religious figures of the Muslim world when he, he went to Saudi Arabia. And he didn't just speak to them, but he told them that they had better get their religion under control and stop feeding radicalism, or he would do it for them. And there have been some signs, and I'd like to get your view, of changes that are taking place in Saudi Arabia and the way the Saudis are hoping to react uh, to the rest of the world going forward. Do you, do you have hope that there are changes that, uh, that can impact, coming out of Saudi Arabia, that can impact uh, the Muslim world uh, in the West? I mean, you know, your, your audience will be almost as familiar with this, if not more than I am, but, but the geopolitical uh, uh, and geostrategic way that the Saudis and the Chinese and all these guys think are not in four or eight-year election cycles, uh, as unfortunately we do in the West. They, they deal with this sort of stuff on a 30, 40, 50-year uh, basis. The Chinese have uh, long-term plans that they, that they agree upon and aim towards for the next 50 years, and the Saudis are very much the same. I don't believe that there was a shred of, of truth in what they were saying when, they, when, when, as you say, President Trump told them to get their act together. And, and for all intents and purposes, they turned around and said, oh, yes, absolutely, you know, we're going we're gonna to start up this counter-radicalization center and, and start fidgeting around the, uh, around the edges, tinkering around the edges um, with some of the things uh, that we do ourselves and that we export. I don't think there was a shred of truth in that. Um, it will require the West to have... Uh, muscular conservatives at the helm for the next 50 years to see through what President Trump began um, on that trip. And I mean, that was, that was really the very, very beginning um, of trying to get these people to, to see that not only in our lifetimes, at least in my lifetime, we are going to see a massive shift of power uh, away from the Middle East, uh, the, the, the carrot that they've dangled uh, above our heads for so long in the, in the sense of energy dependence um, will no longer be a carrot that they can, they can sort of freely uh, uh, take away. We, we, we have now the United States being far more energy independent. You're going to have the same thing across Europe as the shale gas uh, uh, sort of initiatives take off across there. So I think, you know, the Saudis are being pragmatic about it, um, but their instincts, their theological instincts, are still to export, and, and they will never change, are still to export a version, uh, a particularly, as I say, heinous version, literalist interpretation of the Quran, whose only end goal, primary and really only end goal, is the is 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 the um, is the dominance of the world? I mean, it's it, it's written quite clearly in the Quran. 
you don't, you know, there's no ifs or buts about it. It, 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 it. The Quran doesn't say, oh, well, you know, we'll take over what we can and we'll leave the rest to the kafar. It doesn't say that. It says we are going, you know, this is the religion that will dominate the world. Sharia law will dominate the world, and that is the end goal. So I don't, I don't put much faith in one meeting, in one, uh, in one sort of uh, experience that President Trump had over there. Having said that, uh, I think at home as well for Americans, um, this administration hasn't gone nearly far enough in tackling uh, radical Islam in the United States. I mean, we talked about in advance of the election on, on November 8, 2016, we talked about a prescription of the Muslim Brotherhood um, in the United States. We know we have, um, and, I, and I say this from here in Washington, D.C., we know we have operating at the very highest levels of the charitable sector, of, of, of pressure groups, and of government, Muslim Brotherhood operatives, Muslim Brotherhood representatives, representatives from the Council on American-Islamic Relations, all of this, we know it exists. Documentation is there. The FBI has done its investigations. Um, the British government did a huge investigation into the Muslim Brotherhood that still, by the way, hasn't been released three years after the, uh, after the report was concluded. We know all of this, and yet this administration has made no uh, progress in that area. And my greatest fear is that as we move into uh, the midterms at the end of this year, that, um, that, that post those midterm elections, uh, it will no longer be possible for this administration. If they lose control of the House or of the Senate or of both, uh, uh, God forbid, then you will, uh, then you will have no, no form of recourse in this area for the next couple of years. So I think they need to get it done this side of November, but I'm not seeing any movement that way. When uh, you made reference when uh, I asked you, when you were answering my question about what you're up to these days, uh, to a dust-up that you had, I believe, on Sky News, and, um, and which led to, if I'm correct, a, uh, a banning of you on Twitter, uh, did you have mm-hmm. some sort of Twitter experience that, 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 are, that our audience would be interested in? Well, this is the, this is the other area in which there is a, 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 an emerging, uh, if not already concreted, monopoly uh, in, the, in the, realms of, of the realms of speech. Um, you're right, uh, my video from Sky News went, went super viral as they, they tried to... Tried to Nail me uh, on on President Trump using the word or, or allegedly using the word "assholes" um, in a White House meeting. I said I thought it was fine. Uh, it was quite a humorous exchange, um, and and the virality of that caused me to pick up uh, tens of thousands of new uh, Twitter followers. Uh, a couple of weeks later, I found myself inundated uh, with uh, reports against me for hate speech and, and abuse and harassment and all this stuff. There are these orchestrated left-wing campaigns out there that are designed to uh, en masse report conservatives on Twitter for nothing um, in a view to getting their account blocked because they know the way these Twitter algorithms work. If you report somebody enough times, Twitter will eventually just say, yeah, okay, fine, we'll suspend them. So that's what happened to me. They, um, they suspended me for seven days, um, but I would say it backfired because when I came back, um, my account had increased by another 30,000 followers. Um, so, so uh, you know, we, we, have, we have to have this argument in this country, and I do believe that there should be hearings um, on both Capitol Hill and in Westminster as to whether or not um, these social media organizations that are not just 
uh, assisted by governments, but are actually underpinned by governments um, in some regards through, through uh, legitimized tax avoidance um, and through working with uh, states like Germany, like the German state, to, uh, to you know, squash hate speech in inverted commas. Government and uh, big corporations are now working together to, to, as an affront to free speech. So these are no, this is no longer a free market. This is a, this is a state-backed, uh, monopoly or oligopoly that we're seeing, uh, and I believe them to be public utilities. And I realise that makes that's a very uncomfortable argument for somebody to make um, in the United States, where 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 you know property rights and where the free market is 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 is, is a form of it's sort of deified in a way. Um, but I'm afraid that they are uh, public utilities. They do dominate these spaces. They are monopolies, um, and and that conversation needs to be had, especially if they're getting into the realms of influencing elections, which they manifestly are if they shut down conservative voices. I mean, they're not just shutting down conservative voices. They're shutting down candidates, conservative Republican candidates. They're closing their accounts. Um, and, and so they're, they're, by their very nature, um, putting their finger on the scales for the political left. And, and that argument needs to be had out. And I don't, mean lo- I don't mind losing it, Alan. I just want it to be had out. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, the uh, the monopoly that is being created, and to large part, has been been created. Whether it's Facebook and Twitter, a few giant corporations that have end up being the editors, that have end up being the judges as to what you can say, what you can hear, what you can read. Uh, is a very dangerous um, situation that to free speech, and it should in fact uh, be addressed, and there should be not only a discussion but action taken so that uh, these uh, people who we don't know who they are uh, don't have the power to make decisions over what we write, what we the, the movies that we create, the videos that we create, or what we read. And um, now I'm going to give you a blanket invitation that any time they try to shut you down, you can come here. Um, we, will, we will host you. Whether we, whether we agree with you or not, um, we will help get your word out there. And I want to thank you. Um, for spending time with us. I think we covered quite a bit of ground. You're very enlightening. We've been speaking to Raheem Kassam, who is author of a must-read book called No-Go Zones, How Sharia Law is Coming to a Neighborhood Near You. Thank you, Raheem, and we look forward to having another conversation. Thank you for listening to Code Red with Secure America Now. We are the largest national security digital platform in the nation, dedicated to bringing critical security issues to the forefront of the American debate. For more information, visit our website at www.secureamericanow.org.